Blog Talk Radio. The Hollywood Boulevard Podcast, hosted by Jonathan Moody and Donnie Sturgis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hollywood Boulevard Twist Podcast. My name is Alfred, and I'll be your host tonight, along with Lisa. Jonathan. Hey. And Donnie. Hey, everybody. And if you haven't figured it out, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino Universe. The cinema of Quentin Tarantino, Game Changer, and um, a man of witty dialogue and graphic violence, which I think would be his um, tagline. And real quickly, my first introduction to Quentin Tarantino was a little crime heist movie drama called Reservoir Dogs. I remember my buddy Jason and I used to hang out on... Friday nights and college years and trying to figure out what to do and we usually want to go into Blockbuster and picking out an odd movie. And Reservoir Dogs was not an odd movie. It was definitely different, but it had an impact on us from dialogue to soundtrack to the unforgettable scene where the first time I saw it, I swear, I could picture Michael Manson cutting off the guy's ear and when we saw it again later, it was all done in my head. So that's the <laughs> cinematography right there. Great actors in his films, some recurring characters, some recurring F-words, and I would like to share, like our cast tonight, to share their experiences, and Lisa's joining us all the way from far away land, and I'd like to have her introduce herself and talk about her ex- first experience with Quentin Tarantino. Hey, everybody. So I'm uh, Lisa Cantorell. I uh, host a podcast called Get Live with Lisa, and I am the um, editor-in-chief of Clash Books, and I just edited an anthem called Tragedy Queen, stories inspired by Lana Del Rey and Sylvia Plath. Um, my first experience with uh, Tarantino was uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. I saw that when I was, um, I think I was 15, and um, that, along with um, Oliver Stone's um, Natural Born Killers, those two movies were were huge game changers for me. And I remember rewatching Pulp Fiction obsessively many, 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 many times, especially riveted by every scene that Uma Thurman was in. And I just, like, wanted to be her. I just everything she did was just so amazing from her her dancing to her weird like gestures like don't be a square and yeah. stuff <laughs> and the soundtrack I mean I just never saw it had such a bang bang of a beginning like it just starts with such a bang and it just it's one of those movies that just would give me this like drug like adrenaline rush every time I saw it. So that was my first. Cool. Thanks, Lisa. Um, Donnie. 
Yes, sir. Go ahead. Um, your first, um... Well, uh, it, this this is going to be a twofold answer, which is <laughs> should be you know should learn to expect from me at this point. Um, right. None of my answers. None of my, none of my answers are simple. So, my first experience with Quentin Tarantino that I didn't that I did not know was Quentin Tarantino was Natural Born Killers. Um, I had no idea that he had written the screenplay. I had no idea who Quentin Tarantino was. Um, I uh, I had just graduated from high school, uh, summer of '93, and uh, I come from a small town in uh, northwestern PA, so I was wet behind the ears. Very conservative uh, community, you know, very Christian. Um, I was going to a local college about a half an hour away, um, the fall of '93, spring of '94. Um, I think it was the summer of 94, some of my high school friends, because we still got together on occasion, um, one of my friends basically was like, hey, we should you know, get together and have a movie night. I was like, yeah, cool. So we got together and had a movie night. And one of the movies that he rented on VHS was Natural Born Killers. I'd never heard of it. Um, I, I had no idea what it was in for. I was, I was into sci-fi and horror. You know, if, if there was bad stuff that was going to happen, it was, you know, it was in a horror element. It wasn't like crime thriller or whatever. So we watched Natural Born Killers, and I did not like this movie at all because it was not – it was just so raw, and it was just so angry, and it was just – there was so – like seeing Rodney Dangerfield attempt to rape mm-hmm. his daughter was just so unsettling for me because I was used to – this, this is one of the things that Quentin Tarantino – well – Actually, it was an Oliver Stone film, but still, yeah. Quentin Tarantino does this too. He likes to take actors and put them in situations that you wouldn't expect them in. Like he likes to turn them on their ear. Like he's like, "Oh, you're a stand-up comic? Let's have you rape your mm-hmm. daughter." I was like, "What the fuck?" Like I came out of that movie going, "I don't know what the fuck I just watched." Like even little things like um, uh, Timely Jones like grabbing himself the entire time when he's you know at, in the prison. I was like, "What the hell is this movie?" <laughs> so. I didn't like it because I was I liked movies with happy endings. I liked where the where the good guys were good and the bad guys were bad. I didn't I wasn't into grays at this point yet. So fast forward a little bit. Um, I'm in the Air Force. I'm at my tech school in in Texas. A friend of mine says, "Hey, have you ever seen Pulp Fiction?" I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about it. I was like, "No." He's like, "It's by direct, it's Quentin Tarantino. He's really good." I was like, oh, "Okay, I have no idea." Watched it, hated it. For the same exact reasons, I'm like, these people are awful. Nobody's great. Like, everybody just sucks. Like, awful things are happening. Like, I did enjoy the, uh, you know, is Marcellus Wallace a bitch scene. I did like that scene regardless. The rest of it, though, I was just like, what the fuck am I watching? What turned me on to Quentin Tarantino was a little film called From Dust Till Dawn. Came out. Uh, the, right around the same time I was in tech school. In fact, I ended up watching it like a couple, like a month after I saw Pulp Fiction. Even though it wasn't directed by Quentin Tarantino, uh, it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. I watched it, saw Quentin in it. Fucking lo- this, this was the movie that made me realize you can have fun and do good things and have good guys and bad guys, but still have this raw intensity. Like, because the first half of that movie is very much like a Natural Born Killers or Pulp Fiction. The good, the, 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 the everybody's just awful. But by the time you get to the end of it, I'm like, okay. It was like it was like mixing chocolate and peanut butter. It got me weaned on to the stuff that I would later enjoy. I went back and watched uh, um, Pulp Fiction years later, probably like maybe like a couple of years ago, because I'd never gone back to it. And I was like, oh my god, I really do like this movie now. I this, I, I appreciate it. I get it. And um, I, I will say that it was from dusk till dawn. Even though it's a Robert Rodriguez movie, that was the movie that turned me on to Quentin Tarantino and his style and what he was about. Um, 
and that there you go. Long story short, too late. There's my answer. Thanks, Donnie and Jonathan. Uh, all right. So mine's probably going to be twofold as well. Um, so basically, Steve. the first movie that I ever came across of his was uh, True Romance. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And uh, it was. Before I, I mean, obviously I didn't know who Quentin Tarantino was. I didn't know who Tony Scott was. I didn't know uh, anybody in the cast or whatever. My parents had rented it from the video store, and um, they, I guess, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. So they asked <laughs> oh, no. me if I could, uh, if I wanted to watch it with them. Not watch the uh-huh. movies, but with them before or whatever. And so we get to the, like, and I was like, what, twelve, thirteen, I think, or something. It was ninety. 394 or something. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was 93 and 94. And I was like, I was a young lad. And I, um, and my been, wow, I might have been 11 or 12. But anyway, whatever I was, Ooh, I was just like, I was not baby. interested because in the beginning, like, I mean, they might have had curse words, but I didn't understand what was going on. Um, and uh, if you, if you know anything about the first like five, 10 minutes of the movie, it's it's more like a love story in the like first five ten minutes like or whatever like so it's kind of boring to me like I have no interest in Christian Slater or Patricia Arquette and so I left <laughs> and uh, my parents were like oh, we're glad you left because later I got violent and everything I was like damn I missed it <laughs> um, but uh, then later on you know I came across like Pulp Fiction and my my brothers my brother and sisters were watching it at my sister's house and uh, I was staying there for the weekend or something and they're watching it. And um, I turned, I, I was not allowed to watch it apparently. Uh, so my parents had told me I wasn't allowed to watch it, but my, my brother and sisters were telling me I could sneak it. And so I said, you know, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. And I started watching it and it wasn't like I got bored, you know, necessarily, but I felt bad. Like I was doing something I wasn't allowed to do was going to get in trouble, that kind of thing. I had a very bad conscience, you know, didn't want to get like grounded, you know, or whatever. So I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't, uh, I can't do this. So I didn't watch Pulp Fiction and it wasn't until, uh, it wasn't until the first movie, the first movie of his I ever watched um, was Reservoir Dogs, I believe. It's either Reservoir Dogs or From Dust Till Dawn. Because I was allowed to watch from dusk till dawn, because and my parents didn't want me to watch Reservoir Dogs till I was like old enough, like seventeen or eighteen, because that movie was what? my my dad hated that movie. My dad was from dusk till dawn. No, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. He hated Reservoir Dogs because it was so uh, nasty. The characters were nasty. Everything was like you know what I mean. There was no, there were yeah. no really no good guys in that movie. Um, which is obviously why I loved it. Um, I mean, even <laughs> even uh, Mr. Orange is a bad guy, you know? Like, yeah. everybody in that movie is a horrible person in some way or another. Um, so, you know what I mean? So, it's just, uh, I watched it, thought it was great, loved it when I was, like, 17 or 18. So, I didn't really watch it until much later. Uh, From Just Till Dawn, I might have watched before because I was getting into horror in 96, and that was about the time that, from Dusk Till Dawn came out, so um, I may have watched that before, so I'm not sure, but in, like around that time is when I, wa- I started to follow Tarantino and realize how awesome he was. 
There you go. That's my long answer. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, I remember my buddy Gary. He had seen Pulp Fiction in, I guess it was 94. He said, hey, let's go. I was visiting him in Northern Virginia. He said, come, let's go see this movie, Pulp Fiction. And I remember sitting through that door. I was pretty riveted. And it's just, there's one thing after the other, and it's just dialogue characters. And it's just, it's one of those movies that if it's on, I will get sucked into watching it. It's one that I will watch it whenever I see it that it's on. And it just has that much of a pull. And I was really disappointed that John Travolta didn't get the Academy Award for that. I really he thought he did. He, he was, was and he came out of a slump. And oh yeah, it's well, different in all his other roles too. Like every it's different in every single other role that he's ever done. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I was just going to say like Samuel Jackson should have. I I was going to say Samuel Jackson should have also gotten an award, you know, or whatever for, for Academy mm-hmm. Award because he was so great in it too. Like he, he was powerful. Um yeah. You know, in my opinion. So I mean there you go. I mean Uma Thurman too was fucking amazing. Oh she was definitely. The movie the whole cast is is that it was basically a dream cast. If you could have like a yeah. dream team for foot and you have a dream yeah. team for a movie, that's definitely a, a dream team cast from Bruce Willis and the cab driver and even the um, um, the bartender in the bar was also what's Bruce cool Willis. Fiction, yeah. What's cool about Pulp Fiction is that it's it's uh, what is it like four mini movies that are all yeah. interconnected. So you can watch each section, which I would end up doing because I really liked the section with Mia Wallace and and uh, Travolta's character. I would just watch that by itself, and it's its own self-contained movie. It's it's definitely I'm, with um, Eric Stoltz doing the adrenaline shot to her chest, which is like, mm-hmm. holy shit. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually glad you brought that up, Lisa, because that, that brings me to another reason why I didn't like Quentin Tarantino at first and why, and, and, and why I actually, for the same reason why I actually like him now. I didn't understand <laughs> the way he... Uh, told things out of order. Mm-hmm. When I first saw Pulp Fiction, I was so goddamn confused because the movie starts with uh, the robbery at the diner, and yeah. then it, it cuts around to so many different things, and then all of a sudden we come back to the diner again, but we're seeing it from Jules and um, Vincent's perspective. Mm-hmm. I was so fucking confused. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I don't even like. I'm like, I'm like 21. I think that's right. I so that was I like, just turned. That was the- I, that was the first nonlinear narrative you saw, right? Yeah. Wow. No, I yeah. It, 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 well, I, again, I stuck to like mostly like horror and and, and science fiction and you know uh, stuff like that, like adventure. You know, I was you know I, I grew up on Karate Kid and freaking Ghostbusters. Yeah. I was you know this was not this was not my kind of movie at the time. I've since learned and, and have adapted and have grown to love it, but it was just so weird. Like it was, it was and I. I just remembered, like, it was my 21st birthday. I just turned 21, and we were at the bar, and the bar actually had a section, had a, had a, had a, it was on base. It actually had a section where, you, where people could sit in a, uh, in a, like, a little, like, couchy cherry area and watch movies if they wanted to off in the corner. And that's how we watched oh, that's it. So that was cool. one of the, yeah, it was really neat. So we sat in there, we're, you know, I have, I'm having, you know, quote unquote, my first beer ever. And, mm-hmm. um, 
Like we're sitting there, you know, drinking and watching Pulp Fiction, and I'm just like, what the fuck is this movie? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. This movie's not for me. It became for me later on. But, yeah, that was the other thing that I just, I just the nonlinear storytelling was really throwing me off, although I've learned to really love the nonlinear storytelling now. In fact, I embrace it. <laughs> so I mean, I'm well, totally 180. Did you watch, uh, did you watch uh, Lost Highway after that, I hope? <laughs> um. A little bit later, not too, not not too, not too immediately after, but much uh, probably like a few years later, uh, I did. Because that's that's even uh, more like. Oh, I mean, absolutely! You don't even know what's happening. Yeah, no kidding. Know if you think happening. about it, if you think about it, uh, Pulp Fiction is a uh, is an anthology film. You know, it is just uh, it very much there's is. There's a wraparound. Se- there's a wraparound segment. Yeah. Uh, with the diner, and there are like three or four different stories that you follow along that intercut with each other. So it's kind of like it's like the trick or treat of, uh, or trick or treat is the horror version of uh, Pulp Fiction kind of world. But like, you yeah, know, it's, like it's it's a, it's a crime drama with crime anthology. Yeah, exactly. Then it goes. Speaking of anthologies, so Four Rooms came out shortly after. Yeah. That. And the fourth, that's right. I think the fourth one he did. Oh my goodness. I love Bruce I love him. That was great. I, I think that's the first so cooperation between Rodriguez and Tarantino. Because I think Robert Rodriguez well, directed the second Those two were my one. favorite stories. Um, was yeah. not a big fan of the witch story. You know the witch one. I love the witch and, one. Uh, I, I had a feeling you would, Lisa. <laughs> Because you're into witches, but um, I just, uh, no. Well, it's Madonna. Like a... It's fucking yeah. Madonna. Oh, that's true. Like Madonna yeah, true. is like painfully hot. And uh, what's her name? The girl. Ah, uh, what's her name? The one that there was like, she's younger. Uh, redhead. Alicia. Yeah, Alicia Witt. Yeah. Yeah, I I love her. She was good in like wasn't she in like Ellen or something or Sybil or one of those shows or something like sitcoms back in the I day. I don't know if she was ever on TV actually. Uh, she she, she was. was in uh, Cecil she was in Cecil Be Demented. <laughs> um, <laughs> and fun. That was a really cool weird movie. Fun, yeah. She's like a piano prodigy or something. I think she tried to have like a music career that didn't get take off. She's like wow. supposedly super smart. But uh yeah. Yeah, Four Rooms <laughs> was so much fun. I remember when I saw that. That was another one of my favorite. That was like my became one of my feel good go to movies where I just wanted yes. to feel a party atmosphere and, and, and be happy. And it's just, it's so dark and fucked up and hilarious. And once again, an anthology and the, the section with Tarantino of and with Tarantino is amazing. The whole, uh, what is it that they talk about? The Peter Laurie uh, show. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, yeah. you know, when they finally get around to doing the thing with the, with the, Mm-hmm. With the um, knife, it's like, whoa, that happened way too fast. <laughs> I don't want to tell people what happened if you haven't seen it yet, but it's pretty brilliant. Yeah, I, I do love, um, I do love Rodriguez's. I know we're talking Tarantino and everything, but yeah, Rodriguez's his is the, segment of that is great as well. It's amazing. So, uh, yeah, and, um, and then we'll, oh yeah, definitely. We'll go into. Um, 
we'd already talked about From Dust Till Dawn briefly, and that movie took me like, I knew it was going to get crazy, but when I saw it in the theater, I remember there was this teenage kid who had obviously talked his mom into watching it. And the first half of the movie is definitely a Quentin Tarantino crime movie. And then when you get to the bar, um, and then, you know, Cheech Marin is doing his, um, you know, pussy, pussy, pussy tirade. (laughs) She grabbed his ear and dragged him out of the theater. Oh, no. (laughs) They missed all the good stuff. What is this? They missed the best part, which is Selma Hayek dancing. And sticking so your wait, foot in Tarantino's so, mouth. W- wait a minute. So she was okay with everything he saw up until the pussy part. Are you fucking right. kidding me? <laughs> I am not. There was a lot of my buddies bad here, like, holy cow, this is crazy. She she was okay with everything what? up to that point, and then that was it. That was enough. So the so that was the, so, that was the so Juliet Lewis turning around in a dream sequence and saying, Richie, will you eat my pussy for me? was okay. But pussy, I pussy, think pussy was, was boiling was... up to that point. <laughs> I mean, they talked about smelly pussy. That's pretty scary. Smelly. Nobody wants to think about smelly pussy and whatever. The apparently, other apparently she had met her pussy quotient by that point. She was <laughs> like, all right, too many pussies. I got to go. I mean, I just backed wow. up at that. I was like, holy cow. That's, <laughs> that's one thing I remember whenever I see that movie, when that scene comes <laughs> on, I think of that lady grabbing her. She was probably, holy oh, cow, this is like in um, Alabama. <laughs> so that was probably like a little, like, too um, risque. But I was like, you know, you're, you're okay with someone getting blown <laughs> up, their hand getting shot and all this stuff. And then, <laughs> man, her, but, um, her son that was, was something it, else. <laughs> and then what, they had a lot the of other, other other lady got like raped and murdered in the hotel room, right? You know, right? <laughs> right? She was okay with that, but you know, the the, the, the Cheech Marin just saying pussy like five five times or ten times. Apparently, her son's only you know? apparently her son's only allowed to hear pussy four times. On the fifth pussy, it was over. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> yeah, so that was just crazy. I mean, it's just like so funny, like stuff that happens in life at the movie theater. <laughs> well, that poor boy was deprived of some Hayek stands. Yes. Oh shit! That's right. <laughs> That's a tragedy. Oh, that is a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that, moment, like, is, that moment is epic. I've I've like rewound that scene and just rewatched it over and over again, just hypnotized. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I think I think my uh, VHS uh, had skipped after a while because I I did that mm-hmm. as well. So there you go. Per- well, perfectly married. Fun. I was gonna say perfectly married with the Tito and Tarantula song too. Um, after yes. dark. Oh my God, such a great sequence. And that had so many great characters in that scene that would keep popping up. <laughs> and I think Danny Trejo. This is one of his earlier. Oh, yeah. Movies. That was the movie and I was introduced to Danny Trejo in. And um, and then one of my favorite lines is, let's kill that fucking band. <laughs> After <laughs> that, they do this song and everything that, goes nuts, they're still playing. That is, one of, that, is, that is one of two of my favorite lines in that entire movie. The let's uh-huh. kill that, I, in fact, I, I quote that all the time. Whenever there's a, a, a lull or a, or, or a like a like a like an uncomfortable silence in conversation, 
I just will suddenly go, that must kill that fucking band. And everybody <laughs> loses it every time. Like, that one and the Psychos uh, rant at the end. They look like Psychos? That's what they look like? They were vampires. Psychos <laughs> don't explode. When sunlight hits them, I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. That's my other favorite line for that movie. Those are my two favorite yeah. lines for that whole entire movie. <clears throat> Our buddy Ben Church. I was just going to say, our buddy Ben Church uh, quoted that on Twitter uh, yesterday. I thought that he was did. really funny. Good. Yeah, good, uh, good old great line. The show. You know, yeah. Well, let's move on into um, one of my favorite Clint Tarantino movies, and it's one of his least. Um, I don't know. It, it doesn't have the same punch as a lot of his other ones, but it's based on a book called Rum Punch called um, Jackie Brown. And oh, I yeah. fell in love with this movie with the cast. And this is the only mo- one of the only movies I have a prop for. When I was at Universal Studios in Florida, I got a Max Cherry Bail Bonds business card that was used in the movie. Oh, nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. And awesome. yeah, that, that one I didn't like Jerry. at first. I, it didn't feel Tarantino enough or something. I didn't, I, because I, I agree. At the point that I saw that, I really hadn't actually seen any of the movies he was referencing in that, like all the black exploitation and the movies with, with uh, Pam Greer and all that. So I had no idea like what he was like referencing. And then once, once I was more aware of, of that genre, I saw how awesome it was. Mm-hmm. That's the fun thing with Tarantino uh, is I think it makes people, because he he's a film geek, like he's a filmmaker, film geek, and so it's kind of it, if you are a fan of him, then it makes you want to look at what movies is he drawing from, right. like uh, for Kill Bill, for instance, like that final like crazy showdown scene in Kill Bill. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that is almost exactly very similar to this uh, Yakuza. Uh, Pinky Violence movie. Um, right. Uh, what's it called? Uh, what is it? Y- Yakuza Killers Killing Melody, or I, I forget the name exactly, but it's like literally the same scene, like the same setting, same like kind of showdown, except in that movie, it's a bunch of like naked women like fighting the Yakuza, and they all like, they all like, pee on one of them <laughs> like they all pee on him it's amazing you have to see it alright uh, well I just want to say about uh, Jackie Brown that I just I was watching the behind the scenes and uh, Tarantino or you know or, you know, Pam Greer walked in to, uh, to I don't know if it was an audition or just a meet and greet you know but he, she came into uh, you know Quentin Tarantino's office and saw like her pictures, like posters of her films, you know, on his wall. And she was like, wow, did you put that up for me? It was like, no, I was thinking about taking them down before you came in here. <laughs> so apparently he had been such a huge, I mean, he's a huge Pam Greer fan. And he'd even told uh, Sid Haig uh, personally, called him up and said, I want you to work with Pam again. You know, I want to bring you back. And uh, I found this out through, uh, Sid Haig, who uh, I, I talked to on one of my shows, and he actually said that he um, uh, he got the you know he got a call from Quentin Tarantino, right? And Quentin Tarantino was like, "I want you in this movie," and he was like, "I didn't even know how you got my number. <laughs> I don't care. I'll I'll be in it." 
you know, <laughs> like that's awesome when Tarantino asks you to be in it, you know. So those are my two uh, Jackie Brown things. Cool. Oh, that movie it was called. It's called a uh, female yakuza tale. All right, all right, all right. That's when, did that come out? when did that come out? Seventies. Uh, oh wow! I've never heard of that one. So it would be definitely something to put on my watch list. It's really good. Oh. It's really really good. Oh, we, we should remind the listeners. Ends, there it is. So yeah. Join us on the other side of the. The final 15 and we'll keep going alright alright well um, we've got like 15 minutes left of talk time why don't we talk about his um, <laughs> soundtracks and the impact sure. he had on movie soundtracks and we'll kick it up with Lisa Lisa um, well once again Pulp Fiction I listen to that soundtrack a lot uh, I, I actually, that, that's probably one of the first movie soundtracks that I actually bought and I would listen to. And I, I, some of those songs was the first time I heard them, like the Son of a Preacher Man. Um, I really liked that song and listened to it. And it got me kind of listening to music from that era more. Um, the soundtrack of uh, Kill Bill was really powerful. It was, oh, yeah. uh, wasn't that, wasn't that Enya Morricone? Yes. So that was incredible because, I mean, that's like the Western, like, gold standard for, uh, you know, spaghetti Westerns. Um, And the soundtrack of uh, Death Proof was fucking badass. I love that song. That's great. What's it called? The uh, uh, Chick Habit, that song. Yeah, that's one of you I don't usually think of when I think of Tarantino. I forget about that one. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, yeah. Pulp Fiction, when that came out, that was just, I loved, I don't think up until that point I heard a, a soundtrack that had dialogue mixed in with it, and I thought that was so cool. That it would be like clips from the movie, then the, the music, and um, the, yep. the soundtrack for that was just perfect. And, his movies, his soundtracks always matched the dialogue. And, and I mean, when I was a kid, Zomfear, Master of the Pan Flute, was kind of like a a joke. But that played so well in Kill Bill. It was just awesome. Go yeah. ahead, Donnie. Oh, no. And I, um, I agree with all the points. I, I What I love most is I love Quentin uh, Tarantino's, uh, like, he has the, the how am I supposed to word this? How am I going to word this? All right, so with his masterful eye, his, the, the way he is able to recreate um, the things that he sees, like things that movies that he loves, like from the 70s, exploitation, like how he's able to ape that, how he's able to, to perfectly take those things that he grew up with and, and put them on screen for his own films. It's the same thing with the soundtracks. This man has an ear for maybe the most um, – uh, the most eclectic uh, uh, choices, um, the, probably the, the, the stuff you, that most people don't know. Um, he takes a lot of these songs and like brings them into the, uh, onto people's radar. Uh, there's like, a, like almost every soundtrack of his that I've heard. There's some songs from like the seventies and stuff where I'm like, I don't, I'm, what the hell song is this? But I don't know where, I don't know where he grew up learning this stuff, but it's, it's the most like, 
like unheard of stuff that you've ever that that anybody's ever known, and it, and he just takes the stuff, throws it in his movies, and suddenly it becomes a huge worldwide success. Um, and suddenly everybody knows these songs. I mean, there there's several on the Kill Bill soundtrack alone that I'd never heard of before, and I'm just it's it's just amazing um, how he's able to just and he always knows how to pick the right songs. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he knows. Uh, like how to do it, but he always manages to pick the perfect song for every movie that he does. Um, it's incredible. It's it's uh, it's kind of what, like what what James Gunn is doing right now with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Quentin Tarantino already mastered it before him with his own movies, and it's just it's incredible. It's incredible to see somebody so sharp to be able to take stuff that's just so out there that, that nobody's ever heard of and put it in a film and make it so like big and make it pop. Um, I think Kill Bill is probably one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Uh, again, like you said, because uh, Zomfear, which you're right, Zomfear in the '80s was a joke. He used to be like there were there were uh, uh, infomercials that used to pop yeah. up all the time. Get the music of Zomfear, and then like it was just like all of his greatest hits, which were like he had hits. I've never even heard of this guy, and all of a sudden, like he's doing the you know he's one of my favorite pieces on Kill Bill is his you know is is his uh, track. Um, so it just, it amazes me, um, just how well Quentin Tarantino can, can throw together a soundtrack, uh, score and, uh, with actual musical, uh, tracks as well. Actual, like, uh, pop tracks, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah, definitely. One of my, I mean, bring up another good song, Kill Bill. I mean, that's just solid soundtrack. The, the theme from, the song from Vertigo, the whistling when, um, right. um, She's walking down the hall, going to kill her. I mean, that is just right. And then how he does the montage of all these different things is just brilliant. I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about that scene and how it was all orchestrated and put together. That's the thing. He knows how to take a song and use it, and he doesn't necessarily use it in a conventional manner. He'll sometimes use it in a way that you never thought was possible, like that whistling scene. Like he took that and 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 put it to a a, a murderous woman dressed up as a nurse going down to you know, basically to take someone out, you know, quietly with a, with a syringe, like, holy shit. What, who would have thought of that? It's amazing. Great. Jonathan. Uh, well, I, I'd have to agree with Lisa for like Pulp Fiction was my first kind of, uh, you know, favorite of his. Um, uh, I agree that like, uh, you know, I think, See, it's funny because that, that Vertigo song or whatever, I believe it was a Vertigo too, but it was also in like yeah. a, a Brian De Palma movie as well. Um, and he actually took that from Brian De Palma because uh, Tarantino's a huge Brian De Palma fan and uh, loved Dressed to Kill, which was, uh, nice. I believe, had that song in there. So, and, just, and, and De Palma was a huge Hitchcock fan. So it's like... You know, it's like one guy ripping off another guy, ripping off another guy in a way, but like all giving <laughs> off like homages to each other, you know? Um, and I love it. Um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge, uh, you know, Tarantino fan, but, um, but if it weren't for him doing all these things, I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't find the music that we, we like like that, or we wouldn't also uh, discover these filmmakers that he, he quotes as his favorite you know, these films that he loves and these things that, you know, we never would have, um, you know, figured out. So I'm glad he's into music and movies because, you know, then now we all can, you know, appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
one of his more recent movies, um, or his most recent movie, The Hateful Eight, drew from a lot of uh, Ennio Marcone's work from The Thing. Yep. And the, the winner in the blizzard scene, which I was like, holy cow, this is brilliant. How it's a people pulling, how he pulls together from all sorts of stuff. And some of it, I believe, was unreleased music that was developed for the thing that he used in the movie. So I thought that was quite brilliant. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about Quentin Tarantino a lot. Where do you think he should go next? Do you have any feelings on where he's going? And before we do that, one more thing. He is definitely not typecast in his genre. You can, outside of the violence and the dialogue, but he's done westerns. He done first couple of movies were contemporary, but he's done horror, western, um, World War II. I mean, one of my favorite lines in Inglorious Bastards, and one of my favorite cinematic scenes of all time is in Inglorious Bastards, and that's the whole card scene when they're in the basement. That scene is just awesome to me. And, um, of course, when Brad Pitt's going, Bongiorno, I mean, that's great. <laughs> and then to use a, a song from Kelly's Heroes and that when she's going up. Right. And then, of course, um, um, David Bowie's um, Cat People song. That soundtrack is right. brilliant, too, in that movie. Oh, my God, we could just go on for hours with this. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll throw it out for Potpourri. You can talk about your favorite movie, favorite character, where should QT go next, or if you want to weigh in on this um, proposed Star Trek idea. So we'll give each person a couple minutes, and then we'll go into the outro. So, Lisa, we'll go with you, since you're our our, our illustrious guest who just got recently married. Illustrious. <laughs> um, yeah, fortunately, my wedding went better than, than it did for... Uh, the Bride and Kill Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I don't know. I'm like trying to picture what would be something that I would love to see him do that he has not done before. Um, I, I definitely am noticing that I, I love when he does things that have strong female characters and that are centered on strong female characters. And, uh, like, Death Proof was really cool. It it didn't quite hit the mark for me. I felt like it it was a little bit, I don't know, something weird going on with it. But um, I liked the the spirit and intent and and energy of it. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see him, I don't know, maybe doing something, maybe gothic horror. Something cool, like yeah. a gothic horror vampire movie or something, or ghost movie, ghost story. Something, a more quiet type of horror than he mm. does. Nothing loud, just very under the sheets. <laughs> yeah, something something creepy and, and subtle and, and, and operatic. Cool, cool. That would be neat, and... um uh, Donnie. All right, I'll try to keep this quick since we're running low on time. Um, first, I want to say that my favorite Quentin Tarantino film of all time, I, I don't think it's his best, um, but it is my favorite, and that's Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 because I can watch those. I, In fact, I do watch them several times a year. Um, I love the adventure. I love the action sequences. 
Um, I think that's the one that speaks to me the most as far as where his sources uh, come from. Um, you know, spaghetti westerns, Hong Kong cinema. Like, I just love the fuck out of that of both those movies. I don't know why. Um, I, I don't I don't consider well, them amazing. his best work. Oh, they are. They're so good. Like, I think they are it. his best work. I would say they are his best work personally. Yeah, I, well, I know there's a lot of debate. Doesn't mean it, it's funny. It's it's fun that Tarantino is one of those directors where you can debate what his best movie is uh, or what yeah. your favorite of his is. Like he 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 has earned that right. It's funny. He's made so many movies that you can have a whole huge discussion on what's the best one, what's yeah. the worst one. Um, the thing that I would I would I'm actually kind of excited to see what he would bring to the table for a Star Trek movie. And and here's why: a lot of people are crying out against it because they're like, oh, we don't want an ultra-violent, super, like, you know, uh, uh, foul, obscene language uh, Star Trek movie, you know, with all these, you know, you know, gun-at-the-hip kind of things. And I'm like, if, if that's what you think Quentin Tarantino would bring to Star Trek, you don't understand Quentin Tarantino. You're absolutely wrong, and here's why. He's not an idiot. Quentin, like, yeah, well, knows. it's not just that, but Quentin Tarantino, he isn't just the violence guy. He isn't just the language yeah. guy. This is a guy who knows his source material, and he, and, he, and he reproduces it perfectly. And this is why I think his Star Trek movie will be, will be fantastic, because what he'll do is he'll make a Star Trek movie that's exactly like the 60s Star Trek series that he grew up on. It, yeah. Because he knows that he's, he's, he's a carbon copy man. That's what he is. So yeah, yeah. It, may, it may have a little bit of language in it. I don't think it'll have violence in it, because I think what he's going to do is he's going to look at what he liked about Star Trek, and he's going to put it right on the screen. And that's what it's going to be. And people misunderstand. They just think that he's the violence. They don't understand that, no, he takes the things that he grew up on, the sources that he loves, spaghetti westerns, Hong Kong cinema, you know, war movies. He takes those and he just uh, translates them into his own movie and, 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 and reproduces them perfectly. And I think that's why he's a really good choice to do a Star Trek film because I think he's going to, he's going to capture the magic of the 1960 Star Trek perfectly and I, if, if, I just wish people would understand that because I think they'd be more excited if they even realized that that's what he really is. Yeah. I would agree with that. That'd be, I think that would be amazing. Jonathan. Um, well, my favorite written one is Romance. Um, my favorite directed one, I don't know. It's, it's weird because... Um, Pulp Fiction is up there, and so is Reservoir Dogs, obviously. But um, I really love Django Unchained, which I feel like gets a lot of, I don't know, it gets a lot of flack for different reasons or whatever. But I, I just, I love that movie. I love everybody in it. Um, I was uh, surprised with Leonardo DiCaprio playing such an awful, awful character. Um, he was terrifying. Know, like, he was so I mean, he's just so good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think that would be my favorite. Um, as for, uh, I'm excited for this uh, Charles Manson movie he's doing, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I, oh I can't yeah. Wait to see that. They're actually they're shooting that right now. Um, so oh my god, they are doing all this stuff. They are making it. So uh, maybe really when we exciting. come back, we'll do a part two, and you know, at some point or whatever, we can maybe see a trailer sure. of it and talk about that. I am I am um, so down but, to talk about Charles Manson. Yes, and we'll have more. I we could can talk, have more. I could talk forever. We'll more him. people come on. Yeah, <laughs> we. Will, I don't think we'll do a Charles Manson show. <laughs> Why not? That's, uh, but, there's so much. Uh, there's but so we, much. 
I know he we is could talk about his music. Really we should talk about <laughs> Charles Manson's music. <laughs> his All musical right, well, legacy. Take it away, Alfred. <laughs> All right, well, probably mine. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to toss up, but I really like Kill Bill and Jackie Brown a lot. Shout-outs to Inglorious Bastards. And um, Hateful Eight was – I like that. I would have loved to have seen that in 70 millimeter, bringing that sure. back. I was just like, that would have been amazing. But we're down to about our last minute. I would like to thank everybody for participating tonight. Look for a solo podcast project for me this summer. I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but I'm going to keep the fires going, and we'll go to Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Um, Once again, I host Gedly with Lisa. It's on iTunes and Podbean. Talk to cool-ass writers. Uh, uh, Check out Clash Books. They're awesome. Check out the Clash Media website. Lots of cool stuff on that, and... Go and buy Tragedy Queen, stories inspired by Sylvia Plath and uh, Lana Del Rey. Cool. Thank you. Lana Del Rey is awesome, by the way. I love her. Yeah. I'm dying. Um, We're going to get cut off here. So check me out everywhere. Retro pop.